0: in the church age, so we'll still look at some Bible, uh, but it is, <clears throat> maybe it will be evident as we look at this first church, maybe it's going to take us a little bit before it really becomes clear. I, I have a pastor friend, Well, he's a brother-in-law too, we were hanging out yesterday, we had a big family gathering for some birthday parties, and we were chatting about this revelation passage and you know a few weeks ago he said that he really doesn't see uh, you know that he doesn't really need to put these churches as representing history periods of history in the church age but yesterday he said you know he goes I really don't have a problem with it because it just fits so well you know just seeing how you know, so when we study church history and we compare the things that were taking place to these churches, uh, we can see generally periods of time that uh, that fit into this uh, into these different letters. So, anyways, it's kind of neat, and uh, hopefully, it will be fun for us. Uh, I I don't know if I'll get through all of this today or not. We'll see how it goes. I'd like to, but. <coughs> I've got to figure out, here's something I'm not very good at, I get a lot of information and I want to share it all, but sometimes it's just too much and I have a hard time sometimes picking out what I don't share and what I do share. So I cut out quite a bit of stuff that I had for information, but I still feel like it might be a little too much, we'll see. Uh, But let's go ahead and stand together out of respect for the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 is what we'll read to get us started here. And then we'll pray and be seated. All right, it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. We know that that one who stands there is Christ, the one who's speaking. She says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Here you go, Brother Steve. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. That's his problem with with this church. Remember, therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this afternoon. Thank you for, the, thank you for the day you've given us, for the good day, Lord. Thank you for the many blessings and for your grace and mercy uh, in our lives. Thank you for, as we looked at this morning, the armor of God that we have. And Lord, help us as we've prayed already to put on the whole armor, Lord, beginning with what we learned today, the girdle of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Lord, I pray you'd help us to do those things. Help us this afternoon as we consider some of the things that we're about to learn. Lord, I pray that it helps us, that we see uh, the purpose of learning these things. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us to grow as a result of it. Lord, we just ask you to bless our time. We pray that in all of it, you'd be honored and pleased and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. I've already kind of introduced a good chunk of it, but we're going to look at, in a few moments, four of the early church fathers. Uh, there were, I mean, there's kind of s- several uh, generations. Um, these would be some of the first generation church fathers, if you will, and as church fathers, what I mean by that is uh, I don't love that term, but that's what they have come to be known as in Christianity as the early Christian leaders throughout history. Um, so we're going to look at a few of them and see some things uh, that hopefully will help us kind of see what happens throughout history, how doctrines get changed, how the, words, the Word of God gets changed, um, how confusion happens. Um, and sadly, it, it began, I mean, we see it even in the New Testament as these letters were penned by the Apostle Paul, to the churches, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he's dealing with issues and confusion and false teachers already coming into the churches and trying to spoil them from within. So, as you can imagine, it's only a, it's only going to take time before success starts to happen as far as those go, and these false teachers begin to influence people. So, um, and, and we'll look at a couple things here in a few moments that I think will help us understand how it starts, how it started here. In these first couple centuries, so uh, our first blank here, our first slide, the first steps towards the slide of the early church away from the first love came from men who were directly led to Christ by Paul and the apostles of Christ. So some of these, uh, some of these first, um, first people who uh, ultimately caused the slide away from the doctrines of God's word to begin were direct. Um, Uh, converts, if you will, of some of the apostles, so they were pretty close. In my mind, sometimes it's hard for me to imagine people actually knew the apostles. That's really cool. Uh, Imagine what it was like to actually have walked with Christ and talked with him. Uh, You know, just those things, to have witnessed him perform some of the miracles that he did, or hear him teach and preach, I mean, people really did that. They were really there. That was one of the things that had me excited about going to Israel, but you know, maybe another time. If not, in eternity. We'll we'll see it. The millennium. (laughs) So we'll see what happens. So they knew Christ as their personal Savior and were mostly correct in Bible doctrine. They were right on a lot of things. Not on everything. Uh, You know, I suspect when I get to heaven one day, I will learn I'm not right on everything. Uh, And Frankly, I'm okay with that, uh, It's just uh, it further proves my humanity. I want to be right as much for me and my family as I do for you all, for our church. I, I, one of the things that keeps me up at night, I mean not very often, I sleep pretty good most of the time, it, but something that stresses me out is the weight and burden of preaching this book accurately and not saying or teaching or preaching things that are wrong. Uh, like, that. that's something that just really weighs heavy on my heart. And and the reason it weighs heavy is because I know I'm not perfect and that I make mistakes. I also know I'm not the smartest guy in the world, uh, probably on the lower end of the totem pole when it comes to that. But you know, I know that I'm not a brilliant man, so I, I just don't have the intellect that some of my friends have and the memory that some of my friends have. Uh, But, you know, the Bible says comparing themselves among themselves, they are not wise. I am who God made me to be. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, there's things, well, (laughs) there's things they can look at with me and say, well, I wish I'd, you know, maybe not, I don't know, but (laughs) we're all different. God makes us that way for a purpose. So, all right, next slide. In fact, many of these early church fathers gave their lives for their faith as martyrs, which we'll see, especially in the age of Smyrna, which is the next letter that we'll be looking at probably sometime next year. No, I'm just kidding. We'll be before that, but uh, it's the next letter we'll be looking at. The Church of Smyrna, significant persecution, many martyrs, but even in this first age, uh, which if you remember, we put last week as going from about 33 AD to around 200 AD. But I also told us last week there is some overlap. So, you know, some of the Smyrna age stuff we'll see might have happened around 150, and some of these guys I don't know if any of the ones we're looking at, the ones we're looking at today didn't make it into 200. They wouldn't, they were too young, but uh, maybe next week. So, as we said last week, the real problem was what others did with the letters and documents that these men wrote. The ones we're going to look at Uh, Ignatius and uh, Polycarp and Clement. And all of a sudden, I'm drawing a blank on the other guy's name that we're going to look at. But I'll, I'll remember it here when we get there. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Let's jump over there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. This is a letter penned by the Apostle Paul to the church of Thessalonica. Um, So he's instructing them. Ultimately, God is instructing them because we know it's God's word. Paul was simply the man God used to pen the words. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word, This is what I want us to see. "...nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand." So there is a difference between the epistles that were penned by Paul and Peter and John that are inspired by God, and the letters that are penned or written by Polycarp, Ignatius, Clement, and these other guys that are not inspired. There is a difference. And, uh, you know, we have to be careful, those in Christianity have to be careful that we don't take things written by men that are not the Word of God to be on par, to be equal with the Word of God. That's where the crack begins to develop in these early days of Christianity, the ones we're talking about, not now. We're not in the early days anymore. Uh, So notice that phrase, you know, we just said, nor by letter from us. So while this... This book, the epistle to the Thessalonians, second epistle, uh, while it's a letter penned by Paul to the church at Thessalonica, God is the author, so it is inspired. This is your next slide here. God, uh, penned by Paul, but God is the author. The, the other documents that will be in question were not inspired by God. That's why there is possibility for error. We've already said this, but they elevated their writings to an equal status with the Scriptures. That's your next blank, equal. Now, this is important for us to realize. Remember the time we are dealing with. When Paul went somewhere to preach the Word of God, he did not say, he didn't go into a church and say, Open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 3. Uh, he he didn't even pen the book of Romans until Acts chapter 21. So it was later on Christianity had already been in existence for several years. Churches were planted, they were developed and yet they didn't have the whole New Testament. The printing press hadn't been invented so there weren't copies in everyone's homes or in everyone's hands. I don't even know that every church had a copy of the whole New Testament. I don't I don't know. So John did not pen his epistles until 95 AD, 1st, 2nd and 3rd John. The book of Revelation was somewhere between there and 100 A.D. So the New Testament wasn't even done being recorded, being penned until 100 A.D. The apostles, all but John, were passed off the scene somewhere in the 60s. So only the apostle John lived into the 90s, mid-90s to 100 A.D. So all the other apostles were gone, so their books were penned, but... John's had not been all completed. The Gospel of John had, but not 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation. So the canon of the 27 books we know as the New Testament was not formalized until 150 to 170 A.D. I know some of this is a review from last week, part of the reason I'm going a little bit quicker through it. but So what does that mean? Well, because all these other books were coming onto the scene, these other epistles by Polycarp and Ignatius and these guys, uh, The early church is going, okay, we've got 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, we got 1st and 2nd Corinthians, we got Philippians, we got Colossians, we got Ephesians, we got 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, we got all these different letters and books that are written, but then we've also got Polycarp's epistle to the church at uh, Philippi, we've got 1st and 2nd Clement, they call it, which are the uh, the two epistles written by Clement. So they've got all these other things floating around, and they're going, well, what is actually the Bible? What is actually God's Word? So they formed this council of church leaders, godly men, to sit down and go through all these letters and put them through a series of tests to determine what is actually the Word of God. Spirit-led, I believe it was. And here's one of the reasons why. Did God not say he would preserve his Word? He did. So if we question that what we have here is all the books or not, we have to trust there's an element of faith involved in believing God to fulfill his promises that he would preserve his word. Uh, So we have the canon, it's called, which means the collection of the 66 books, the 27 New Testament books that make up the New Testament, and ultimately the 66 for the whole Bible. So I know I've said some of this, but several men during this time wrote epistles also. we got that one, what is an epistle? It's a writing, directed or sent, according to Webster's 1828, a letter. So it's all it is, it's a letter that was sent. The, church, uh, the, the book of Philippians is nothing more than an epistle, a letter that was penned by the Apostle Paul under inspiration of the Holy Ghost and sent to the church at Philippi. Same thing with Ephesians, same thing with Thessalonians, they were churches penned and written, sent off to churches. These epistles are what men elevated to equal authority with the word of God. Gave the enemy the tiniest of cracks. Look with me at Acts chapter number 20. Acts chapter number 20. Verse number 17, verses 17 to 35. I know it's a little chunk, but this is... This is a section in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul gathers the elders at the church at Ephesus and addresses some things. We're talking about the church at Ephesus over in Revelation 2, and uh, this fits along with those lines, I believe. That's what we're talking about right now. So, verse 17, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly. And from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now he's got some warnings coming up here, so pay attention. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves." shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So what is the warning to this church at Ephesus, which we'll see over the next couple of weeks, historically, this takes place. The warning is that some are going to come in, grievous wolves, they're going to enter in, not sparing the flock. But he also warns them that even of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away So even from within the church, there will be those that are going to rise up and are going to speak perverse things and try to draw disciples away after them. It's kind of scary to think that people within God's family would try to lead others away. Uh, But it's happening all over the world as we know it. All right, so Paul gathered elders of the church at Ephesus, warned them of the coming attack. We see that. Uh, and then Paul warned of wolves that would not spare the flock and of men per, uh, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. From Acts 20:30. Those are from within. It's no coincidence that this warning was to the church at Ephesus. The first corruption of true Bible Christianity came from the inside. Came from within, inside the body of Christ. Great men who are not always wise wrote things that were off just enough to let others twist them to mean something that was never intended. And that's, that's really what it boils down to. So this opened the door for the next two generations to pervert the word of God. The Gnostics arose by the end of this age and took the church off the cliff into philosophy. So it became less about what God said and more about man's philosophical views. I read this this past week. I'm not against knowledge. The Bible tells us over in 2 Peter 1, add to your faith, was the first thing it says, knowledge. But there is a problem when, when man becomes obsessed with intellect and increasing knowledge and knowing and knowing and knowing. We get the Gnostics from that. In this book I was reading, he said, we need to remember that Satan brought his first lies under the tree of knowledge. And I thought, I have never thought of that before. But that is very true. It was under the tree of knowledge of good and evil that Satan deceived Eve. And what was the deception? You shall be as gods, knowing, having that information, that knowledge. So man's hunger and thirst for knowledge gets us into trouble sometimes. Uh, So anyways... Polycarp, first person. He lived from the year 69 AD to 155. He was the bishop of the church at Smyrna. Bishop is just another term for pastor. That's it. It's pretty simple and straightforward. He was a convert and student of the Apostle John. He was faithful to the Lord and right on doctrines like salvation by grace through faith, etc. He had that doctrine right among many others. I know I already mentioned, but in 110 A.D. he wrote a church. Uh, no, he wrote a letter, an epistle to the church at Philippi, 14 chapters long. So it wasn't just a little tiny, "Hey, how you doing?" It wasn't a text message like we send nowadays. Thinking of you, praying for you. hope you have a good day. I got a couple of those. I sent a couple of those this morning. Uh, that's not what it was. It was more than that. It was a. It was a deep letter, discussing lots of truth. Doctrines like salvation and practical daily living, Christian living, he was dealing with these things. Most of what he said was right and accurate, but he said something, some things that what he meant was not necessarily wrong, but the words he used don't line up with scripture. Here's what he said. His statement was, faith is the mother of us all. That's what he said. Don't have a big issue with that statement. But, when we compare it to the Word of God, Galatians 4.26 says, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So, okay, so his intent was that we are born again by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mothers give birth. Following his logic makes sense. And faith is that by which we receive the new birth. It makes perfect sense. It just doesn't agree 100% with the clearest teaching of Scripture. He took some liberty. Whether it was intentional or unintentional, I don't know. Um, I don't believe he intentionally was putting things out there to deceive people or lead them away from the truth of the Scriptures. I don't believe for one second that was his intention. But men do it all the time with God's words. They twist them to mean something that they don't actually mean. They take them out of context and make them say something that they don't actually say. Uh, So why would we think it's any different for these men? The difference is God's word is perfect and preserved. These men's word is finite and not inspired or preserved. So uh, we have some issues there. So again, his epistle was put on the same level as scripture. So it was taken, this is how men began to take it in the future. It wasn't even necessarily first right away, but as time progressed in the 300s when Roman Catholicism became, uh, began, to be, uh, began to be created, uh, the writings of Polycarp were spun out of context. So it was taken as faith as our mother, God is our father, and only a mother can give birth, so only the church can offer salvation. So him saying faith is the mother of us all began to be spun out of context and misapplied and, and then compared to be equal with scripture. Since a person can only have one mother, there can only be one church. Therefore, the established holy apostolic Catholic church is the one and only true church. It's not what I believe or what I'm teaching, but this is what has been taught throughout history. And what Polycarp said was taken out of context and used to try to make this doctrine. All right, everyone who leaves that church leaves their salvation. Every person who is not in this church is a child of the enemy, therefore they can be eliminated off of the earth in the name of God and for the Holy Mother Church. Um, I mean, how many years were people martyred for their faith? We'll actually see in a moment Polycarp was martyred for his faith. Um, so this is absolutely not what Polycarp meant. He was not teaching that for one moment, but that's how his words have been spun out of context. So he was martyred for his faith in 155 A.D. at 86 years old by Rome. 86-year-old men, you got to watch out for them. They cause a lot of trouble for people. I mean. <laughs> You think about uh, Caleb. He was, what, 85, right, when he went up and conquered Mount, uh, oh, I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden. I want to say Mount Herman, but that's because there's a Herman Mountain up here by Bangor, but it wasn't Herman Mountain. I can't think of what it was called. It'll come to me later. So back to Polycarp. He was commanded to recant his faith in Christ or face the stake to be burned. I love this. His response was this. Eighty and six years have I served him, speaking of the Lord, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my Savior? You threaten me with the fire that burns for an hour, and after a little is extinguished. But you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why, tarry? bring forth what you will. Uh, yeah. That's some faith <laughs> to just say, if you're gonna burn me, burn me. Just let's just get it over with, because uh, I know where I'm gonna spend eternity. And you know, praise God for great faith. Mm-hmm. All right, this is the one I couldn't remember. It's probably because I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know if it's papayas, sounds like papayas, or if it's papias, or I don't know what it is. But you figure it out. I don't care. Uh, he was the bishop of Hierapolis. We're going to go with that. Sounds like, I don't know. He also was a disciple of John. We'll make this our last one for today. Actually, you know what? Let's just stop here. We'll pick up here next week. That's what we'll do. Because he's the next longest one, I think. I still got several pages of notes on my side, so we're... about the halfway point, so I've been going for a while. I'll let you go for today and we'll pick up where we left. I told you, I have a hard time. There's so much information and we see how just a little crack gives the enemy the opportunity to come in and misuse and misapply what is stated, uh, what's been said. So we have to be careful with what we say, too, because it won't be long. I mean, every sermon I preach is out there on the World Wide Web on YouTube, so I shouldn't say every sermon. Sunday's sermons are out there on the World Wide Web. And I'm sure there's some government algorithm taking it all apart and paying attention to what I'm saying. So when I say things they don't like, they'll be knocking on my door. Maybe not today, but eventually. But uh, you know what? If one person gets saved as a result of it, it's worth it. So, All right. Well, next week we'll pick up with... Uh, This guy. Let's go ahead and pray. We'll dismiss and we'll fellowship for a little bit as we go. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, those who have, uh, Lord, ultimately, there are many who've given their life to interpret and to see to it that your word would be preserved and available for the common man in their own language. And Lord, here, even in the early days of Christianity, we see saints of God who uh, maybe they were wrong in, a, in some areas, but their hearts were desiring, their, their will was that they would be right. They were just doing the best that they could and the best they knew how with what they had for Scripture, what they had available to them. And Lord, ultimately many of them paid the, the uh, absolute price of giving their own lives for you. But Lord, men have taken their words and spun them out of context and used them incorrectly uh, for the sake of um, teaching false doctrine. And Lord, we're not going to take the time to learn all the false doctrines, but I hope that what we do see, it will help us to recognize and to see how easily people can be deceived. How easily the enemy will creep in and use anything he can to deceive your children. And Lord, we just want to strive and do our very best to be right with you, to be, uh, Lord, to be lined up with your truth, the Word of God. And I pray you'd help us to do that, Lord. We just ask you to work in our midst, give us safety today and the rest of the week. Help us to live for you and serve you. And we just pray you bless each one who's here And uh, we thank you for all you do for us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.